The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Francisco Vasquez de Coronado was a Spanish conquistador and explorer who led a large expedition from what is now Mexico to present-day Kansas through parts of the southwestern United States. Coronado had hoped to reach the fabled cities of Cibola, also known as the mythical Seven Cities of Gold, located throughout the pueblos of the New Mexico Territory. His ambitious journey marked the first European sightings of the Grand Canyon and the Colorado River. Let's listen to more about this famous North American expedition to the continent's El Dorado, generously presented by LibriVox. Coronado and the Seven Cities of Cibola The story of the discovery of the Seven Cities as told by the worthy Fray Marcos when repeated in the city of Mexico gave rise to high hopes of a new El Dorado, and numbers were ready to join in an expedition to explore and conquer Cibola. The city was then well filled with adventurers eager for fame and fortune, many of them men of good family, cavaliers of rank floating about like corks on water, and soldiers ready to enlist in any promising service. It is no wonder that in a few weeks a company of over three hundred were enlisted, a large proportion of them mounted. The Indians of the expedition numbered eight hundred, and some small field pieces were taken along, while sheep and cows were to be driven to supply the army with fresh meat. Francisco de Coronado was given the command, and so distinguished was the cavalcade that the viceroy would have appointed each of the gentlemen a captain, but for fear of making the command top-heavy with officers. It was early in 1540 that the expedition set out, some of the horsemen arrayed in brilliant coats of mail and armed with swords and lances, others wearing helmets of iron or tough bullhide, while the footmen carried crossbows and muskets, and the Indians were armed with bows and clubs. Splendid they were, but woe befallen were they to be on their return, such of them as came back. An accessory party was sent by sea along the Pacific coast, under Hernando de Alarcón, to aid as far as it could in the success of the army. But in spite of all Alarcón's efforts, he failed to get in communication with Coronado and his men. On the 7th of July, after following the monk's route through the mountain wilderness, the expedition came within two days' march of the first city of Cibola. It was evident from the signal fires on the hills and other signs of hostility that the Spaniards would have to fight. But for this, the cavaliers of that day seemed to have been always ready and the next day Coronado moved forward towards the desired goal. At length the gallant little army was before Hawaika, the city on which Fray Marcos had gazed with such magnifying eyes, but which now was seen to be a village of some two hundred houses. It lay about fifteen miles southwest of the present Zuni. The natives were ready for war. All the old men with the women and children had been sent away, and the Spaniards were received with a volley of arrows. The houses were built in retreating terraces, each story being smaller than that below it, and from these points of vantage the arrows of the natives came in showers. Evidently the place was only to be taken by assault, and the infantry was posted so as to fire on the warriors, while a number of dismounted horsemen sought to scale the walls by a ladder which they had found. This proved no easy task. 
Coronado's glittering armor, especially, made him a shining mark, and he was so tormented with arrows and battered with stones as he sought to ascend that he was wounded and had to be carried from the field. Others were injured, and three horses were killed, but in less than an hour the place was carried, the warriors retreating in dismay before the impetuous assault. Glad enough were the soldiers to occupy the deserted houses. Their food had given out, and they were half starved, but in the storerooms they found that of which there was greater need than of gold or silver, which was much corn and beans and chicken, better than those of New Spain, and salt, the best and whitest I have seen in all my life. The chickens seemed to have been wild turkeys, kept by the natives for their plumage, but of the much-desired gold and silver there was not a trace. Before their eyes the seven cities of Cibola fainted into phantoms, or rather contracted into villages of terraced houses like that they had captured. Food was to be had, but none of the hoped-for spoil, even the turquoises of which so much had been told, proving to be of little value. Expeditions were sent out in different directions, some of them discovering lofty, tower-like hills with villages on their almost inaccessible summits, the only approach being by narrow steps cut in the rock. Others came upon deep canyons, one of them discovering the wonderful Grand Canyon of the Colorado River. In the country of Tiguex were twelve villages built of adobe, some on the plain and some on lofty heights. The people here received the Spaniards peaceably and with much show of welcome. In Tiguex was found an Indian slave, called by the Spaniards El Turco, from his resemblance to the Turks, who said he had come from a rich country in the east, where were numbers of great animals with shaggy manes, evidently the buffalo or bison, now first heard of. Some time later, being brought into the presence of Coronado, El Turco had a more wonderful story to tell, to the effect that, in his land, there was a river in the level country which was two leagues wide, in which were fishes as big as horses, and large numbers of very big canoes, with more than twenty rowers on a side, and carrying sails, and their lords sat on the poop under awnings, and on the prow they had a great golden eagle. He said also that the lord of that country took his afternoon nap under a great tree, on which there were hung a large number of little gold bells, which put him to sleep as they swung in the air. He said also that everyone had his ordinary dishes made of wrought plate, and the jugs, plates, and bowls were of gold. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, and this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. Lots of channels, nothing to watch especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. 
Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. No doubt it was the love of the strangers for the yellow metal that inspired El Tuerco to these alluring stories, in the hope of getting rid of the unwelcome visitors. At any rate, this was the effect it had. After wintering in the villages of the Tiguas, which the Spaniards had assailed and taken, they set out in the following April in search of Quivira, the land of gold which El Turco had painted in such enticing colors. Against the advice of El Turco, they loaded the horses with provisions, the imaginative Indian saying that this was useless, as the laden animals could not bring back the gold and silver. Scarcely to his liking, the romancing Indian was taken with them as a guide. On for many leagues they went, until the Pecos River was crossed, and the great northern plains were reached they being now in a flat and treeless country, covered with high grasses and peopled by herds of the great maned animals which El Turco had described. These strange creatures were seen in extraordinary numbers, so abundant that one day, when a herd was put to flight, they fell in such a multitude into a ravine as nearly to fill it up, so that the remainder of the herd crossed on the dead bodies. Various tribes of Indians were met, the story they told not at all agreeing with that of El Turco, who accordingly was now put in chains. Coronado, not wishing to subject all his companions to suffering, but eager still to reach the fabled Quivira, at length sent all his followers back, except thirty horsemen and six foot soldiers, with whom he continued his journey to the north, the bison supplying them with abundance of food. For six weeks they marched onward, crossing at the end of thirty days a wide stream, which is thought to have been the Arkansas River, and at last reached Quivira, which seems to have lain in the present state of Kansas. A pleasing land it was, of hills and dales and fertile meadows, but in place of El Turco's many-storied stone houses, only rude wigwams were to be seen, and the civilized people proved to be naked Indians. The only yellow metal seen was a copper plate worn by one of the chiefs, and some bells of the same substance. The utmost Coronado could do was to set up a cross and claim this wide region in the name of his master, and his chief satisfaction was in strangling El Turco for his many embellished lies. Finally, having lost many of their horses, being harassed by the Indians, and suffering from all want of provisions, the way-worn army reached known soil in the valley of Culiacan. Here all discipline was at an end, and the disorganized army straggled for leagues down the valley, all Coronado's entreaties failing to restore any order to the ranks. At length the sorely disappointed commander presented himself before the viceroy Mendoza, with scarcely a hundred ragged followers, who alone remained with him of the splendid cavalcade with which he had set out. Thus ended the story of the last of the conquistadores, who had found only villages and returned empty-handed from his long chase after the will-o'-the-wisp of Quivira and its fleeting treasures. Little did he dream that Quivira would yet become the central region of one of the greatest nations of the world, and rich in productions beyond his most avaricious vision. Coronado's failed North American expedition forced him into bankruptcy. A dozen years later, he died of an infectious disease in 1554 at the age of 43. He was buried under the altar of the Church of Santo Domingo in Mexico City. Coronado caused a large loss of life among the Puebloans, both from the battles he fought with them and from the demands for food and clothing that he levied on their fragile economies. However, 39 years later, when the Spanish again visited the southwestern United States, they found little evidence that Coronado had any lasting cultural influences on the Amerindians, except for their surprise at seeing several light-skinned and light-haired Puebloans. The legend of the Seven Cities of Gold became mixed with the stories of El Dorado, which was sometimes said to be one of the Seven Cities.
Sir Walter Raleigh of Roanoke fame would later take up the search for the mythical kingdom. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.